everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful world of ours, you are part of this story circle. You know, sometimes when I start getting discouraged about what's going on in the world, I think about the people that I know and how dedicated they are to being a positive part of change, how committed they are to their own self-awareness, and how generous they are in their thinking about their impact on the world and what's going on. I really believe that there are far more of us who are really consciously trying, working, struggling, thinking to bring more love and beauty into the world than it appears if you read the headlines. And I was reminded of this recently because I told a story at the Joshua Tree Music Festival, which is a marvelous gathering of people of all ages who fit into this category of positive change artists. And um, I ended up telling this story, How Coyote Brought Fire to the People. And this is a story that I've told before, but we found some new dimensions in it. And they revolved around the question of how we do play a useful role in cultural change and how we can invite transformation. So I want to say, first of all, that we used a group process to select a story at random, quote unquote. That means that synchronicity played a role in it. And it was only later on, after the group process, that I realized that almost every single person in the group had set an intention privately for the story experience that revolved around this theme. And also realized that that intention was set because each of us was feeling insecure about what we could contribute. You know, it often feels like you should be quiet unless you're an expert on whatever the problem is that's being discussed. Or that if you're not famous and you don't have a lot of money, that your actions are, are too small to be meaningful. And especially if you start thinking about the needs of the world and you find that you have more questions than answers, well, we are coached, unfortunately, towards certainty. And it's easy to forget that the questions are almost always more important than the answers. Thoughtful people are not certain about very many things. And I wonder sometimes if this disconnect between the cultural message of being in control and being certain and having simple formulas and five steps towards whatever it is and the actual life experience of 
ambiguity and subtlety and complexity and nuance, and there's more than five steps to pretty much any process, I wonder if that disconnect contributes to the doubt that many of us feel about the value of the contributions that we're called to make and the ways that we feel like responding to the needs that we see. So many needs and problems, they're so big, it's easy to feel small. This program is for all of you out there who relate to any of the things that I'm saying here. Because it commonly afflicts me. There is this part of me that thinks sometimes you should be back in public interest politics. It's just not my way to borrow a line from Coyote. And that is a good segue, maybe, to the story. So let me move on to the story. It's called How Coyote Brought Fire to the People. And uh, I think that there's a that I told this story as part of the Grandfather Coyote collection that is uh, in the archives on Bandcamp. But where we're going to take it today is different than any place I've ever taken this story before. So I invite you to sit back and relax and pay attention to the details that attract your attention. Those are your way in to this moment. Way back in the early days, the animal people did not have fire. Only the skookums had fire. And the skookums were kind of supernatural beings. They were very strong and ancient. And they lived on the top of a snowy mountain. This is the only place in the world where you could find fire. And just parenthetically, this version of this story was told by the Kuroke people who live in the Mount Shasta area in Northern California, which is an amazing, uh, sacred, snowy mountain. So anyway, so way back in the beginning, the animal people didn't have fire. The only place you could get fire was up on the mountaintop, and the skookums guarded it. So the animal people were often cold, and they had to eat their food raw which they were not happy about. One day, Coyote came through the animal village. And the people said, Brother Coyote, you need to help us. You need to help us get fire before we die of cold. Now, Coyote knew where the fire was. And he also knew about the skookums who were guarding it. So he wasn't exactly sure how he was going to approach this project of getting fire. But he said, okay, okay, Coyote makes things right. I will get you fire. Coyote then made his way up to the top of the snowy peak. And he found the lodge of the three Skookum sisters who were guardians of the fire. And he laid down behind some bushes in the snow a little ways off from their lodge and the fire to watch. What he saw were three old wrinkled sisters who took turns guarding the fire. 
One sister would sit outside and feed the flames while the other two were in the lodge, eating and sleeping and doing whatever else they needed to do. And when it was time to change places, the sister by the fire would get up, slowly walk over to the door of the lodge, open it, and call inside. Sisters, come out to tend the fire. And one of the other Skookum sisters would emerge to take her place. Coyote lay there for a while, and he watched this routine. And he noticed that the sister who had the night watch was especially stiff and creaky and cold at dawn. And she took an especially long time to get up and make her way over to the lodge door. So, Coyote thought, this is the time to take the fire. While she's making her way so slowly back to the lodge, I should have plenty of time to grab some fire and take off. The getting the fire is not the problem. Holding on to it, though, that, he thought, is another story, because these Skookum sisters might be old, but they are fast and strong, and there's no way that I can outrun them all the way back to the animal village. Coyote felt that he'd done all the reconnaissance that he could do at this point, and he headed back down the mountain. And all the way down, he thought, and he thought, and he thought about how he was going to get fire back to the animal people in their village. He couldn't figure it out. Coyote decided to ask his sisters, who were three huckleberries who were always with him. His huckleberry sisters were very wise So Coyote farted, and then he pooped, and there were his sisters. And he bent down and said, Hey, sisters, I have a problem. I need to get some fire. I need to steal some fire from the skookums for the animal people, and you need to help me. Now, the Huckleberry sisters did not want to help Coyote because he was a troublesome pain and a know-it-all. So they said, You know, Coyote, as soon as we tell you what to do, you'll just say, Oh, I knew that. So why don't you spare us the trouble and figure out this problem for yourself? Coyote knew that his three Huckleberry sisters, were afraid of hail. So he called up to the clouds in the sky and said, Hail, hail, come on down, my friend. Hail, hail, right now. And a few pieces of hail fell down from the sky. The Huckleberry sisters did not like this, and they huddled together, and then finally they said, Oh, all right, all right, Coyote, make it stop, and we will give you a plan. So Coyote stopped the hail, and his huckleberry sisters did give him a plan. He bent down close. They told him what to do, 
And when they were done, he said, Oh, huh, I already thought of that. And then went back to the animal village. Coyote gathered all of the animal people together and told them the plan. So the following day, the animals came together behind Coyote and they started out for the mountain. Along the way, Coyote had this one stop here or this one stop there and that one stop there until they made kind of a chain of animals all the, almost all the way up to the top of the mountain. And when all of the animals were in place, Coyote himself went back up to the Skookums Lodge and laid down again behind the bushes in the snow where he could watch the fire and the Skookums and wait for dawn. The sister who was guarding the fire had pretty good eyesight, and she saw Coyote over there. But she figured it was just an animal looking for scraps. Since the Skookum sisters had fire and cooked food, they sometimes had hungry animals kind of skulking around, so she didn't think about it very much, and she sat and stared into the flames, and now and then she threw another log onto the fire. Until finally, dawn started breaking, and whew, relief, her time was up. She got up very creakily and slowly made her way to the lodge door. Just at the moment that she opened the door and called her sisters, Coyote leapt up, ran to the fire, grabbed a burning brand, and took off. The second that he was gone, the sisters in the doorway saw him, and the three sisters were all after him in a flash. Coyote ran and ran and ran. He ran faster than he had ever run in his life. He even rolled part of the way down the snowy hillside like a giant snowball. But the three Skookum sisters were hot on his tail, kicking up snow and ice. So he ran and ran, and just as he was at the end of his strength, he got to the tree line, and there waiting was Cougar. Coyote handed Cougar the burning brand, and off ran his feline brother, sleek and quick, with the three Skookum sisters right behind him. Coyote just fell, poomph, face first into the snow, exhausted. Now Cougar ran and ran, and he couldn't shake the Skookums either. Cougar ran all the way to the low trees, to where there started to be some bushes, and just at the last moment, he managed to pass the fire off to Fox. And Fox ran and ran, with the Skookums at the very tip of his bushy tail, until he got to the dense underbrush, where he tossed the fire up to Squirrel, who was waiting up in the branches, and Squirrel snatched it and went off, leaping nimbly from limb to limb. The three Skookum sisters knew that they couldn't travel that way. But they were big and strong and determined to get their fire back. So they just 
barreled right on through all of those scratchy bushes. And they were on the other end, waiting for Squirrel. Squirrel had just one split second, and he tossed the fire to Antelope. Antelope was the fastest animal, hands down, and he bounded off across the meadow with the skookums right behind him. And so it went from animal to animal, from paw to claw. This relay continued all the way down the mountain, and the three skookum sisters matched the animal people step for step and breath for breath. Finally, the fire had made its way down the mountain, and the animal village was not too far away, but the fire was no longer a burning brand. All that was left was one tiny glowing ember that got past a frog who swallowed it. Frog hopped, 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 and dove into the river. But the skookums were right there, and the youngest sister saw what he was doing, and she leapt over to the far bank and was waiting for him when he came out of the water. Frantically, Fog kind of hopped around, and he went right between her legs, and for a second, it looked like he was going to get away. But suddenly, the other two sisters were there, and they surrounded him, And Frog was so tired from the hopping and the swimming, he just couldn't jump anymore. And so he just spit the ember into a piece of wood. It disappeared. The three Skookum sisters gathered around the wood. They were totally perplexed. They talked it over and scratched their heads and They couldn't figure out how to get the fire out of the wood. And so finally, they gave up and made their way back up to their lodge on top of the snowy peak. By now, all of the animals were recovering from their races and slowly making their way back down to the mountain. And as they came down, they gathered around Frog and this piece of wood. There did not seem to be any fire. Feeling a bit dejected, they waited for Coyote, and he was the last one down since he had been way up at the top. And when Coyote came down, he found all the animals sitting around Frog and the wood. Hey, Brother Frog, he said, how did it go? And Frog said, well, Coyote, there it is, and pointed at the wood. Ah, well, good, Coyote said. And he got a couple of twigs and some dry moss. He rubbed the twigs together until he raised a few sparks, and he showed the animal people how to add the moss and some bigger sticks and build a fire. Coyote showed the animal people how to get fire out of the wood. And from that day forward, the animals could cook their food, and they weren't cold anymore. Now, there are lots 
of mythological stories about the theft of fire. And the fire is commonly associated with consciousness, the spark of of consciousness, self-consciousness, or spiritual insight, or technology. And these aren't mutually exclusive. I mean, you can apply this concept of fire to all of those things simultaneously in the same story. The technology is important, you know, just fire as fire, because the discovery of fire certainly changed the course of human and world history. But fire is also the agent of transformation. If you want transformation, you turn to the fire element. There are two questions that have been asked other times that I've told this story, and I've told this story a lot of times. (laughs) But these questions have never been answered by the story circle in the way that they were at the music festival recently. So question number one, what was the intention of the Skookums in keeping the fire all to themselves on top of the snowy mountain? If they knew that the animals were cold and, and um, suffering, why didn't they give them the fire? Why were they guarding it? And question number two, why didn't Coyote use the first theft and the whole relay race as a distraction and then go and get the fire while the Skookum sisters were busy chasing the other animals? It seemed like he could have kind of set this whole thing up and then gone while they were off running around and, um, you know, and stolen it. Well, we considered those two questions, and here's what we came up with. That fire was a thing of ultimate value. And if you think about it as an agent of transformation, spiritual aspiration, world-changing technology, consciousness, all those things bundled together, you conclude it was the mystery, maybe. It was the, the thing, the ultimate value. And we know that ultimate values, the mysteries, the deep mysteries, are kept hidden. And they can't be obtained without effort. Those snowy mountain peaks, snowy mountain peaks are often a metaphor for the place that we must go to find, realize truth and spiritual aspiration. They're sacred places. And I mentioned the Kurok people were living around Mount Shasta. We also know the Skookums were superhuman or supernatural beings, so they were guardians, keepers of the flame, the mystery of the flame. Now, what if it was their job to keep the fire going until the animal people were ready to possess and tend it? This is a tenet of all mystery and mystical religions, shamanic traditions, that esoteric knowledge is only given to those who are prepared, worthy and prepared and ready. It's not squandered. It's not given to just anybody. So what if the Skookums were keeping that fire going until it was ready to be brought into the world? 
And you notice that Coyote taught the animal people how to get fire from the wood and how to tend fire at the same time. The acquisition of this fire was really a big deal. So is it possible that the process, the process itself of stealing the fire was the manifestation of yet another transformation? Is it possible that in addition to fire now being brought into the world where it could be shared, is it possible that that another aspect of the transformation of the world was the introduction of the cooperative effort that it took. The story involves the relay race. It's not a story about how Coyote snuck back up to the Skookum camp alone while they were off running around after the other animals. The Greek myth of Prometheus is a story about one being acting alone, going alone, and stealing fire. And that came out of and was part of the shaping of a culture of the heroic individual. But this is a story about the trickster, the being who slips through the cracks, the one who creates change, (laughs) organizing everybody to work together to get this very much needed thing, fire. Is it possible that each of the participating animals experienced a transformation of self, an awakening of capacities and value, what we might call self-esteem, by virtue of playing a role in this successful endeavor? Could the relay race be a type of initiation? Here the story offers an opportunity to reflect on the value of each animal playing his or her role, moving in his or her manner through the portion of the landscape that was most natural, filling the assigned niche. Squirrel has the trees over the dense undergrowth of bushes, for example. Antelope bounds across the meadow, and it's frog who swallows the ember and dives into the river and swims across. Each animal doing what came naturally in his or her assigned place in the scheme. (laughs) But can you imagine how Frog felt when he spit the dying ember into the wood and watched that last trace of fire disappear? He had no idea what had been accomplished. And given his place in the relay, being the final animal, I imagine that his sense of failure could have been immense. I have felt like that frog, feeling, believing that I was the weak link and the one who let everyone down. The animals were dejected when Coyote arrived, but he revealed their success in a way that only he could do because Coyote makes things right. This is the job that the Creator gave him in that mythic time. And this is an essential tenet in the Native American worldview, that everything has a specific purpose, a job to do, a role to play. Nothing and no one is disposable. Today's dominant paradigms are built on hierarchies of value that include, at the bottom of course, a category for the useless and the disposable. 
a culture that has fallen for the fantasy of convenience and disposability. (laughs) And we can also choose to let it go. Maybe our friend the frog and the image of him spitting out that ember can feed our imagination and lead us back into appreciation that everything, every being, every one of us has a role to play. There seem to be bigger and smaller actions, lesser and greater lives, but all of us have a place in the grand scheme, and we can't know or see the effects. I think it was Gandhi who said, what you do may not matter, but it matters that you do it. Bring us your fire. So that's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. If you're new to Myth in the Mojave, I invite you to go to the website and subscribe so that you can receive regular program announcements every time I release a new episode. And if you're finding something of value in Myth in the Mojave, please join the community on Bandcamp. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to all of the programs and you will play an essential role in helping me make future programs possible. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making, and keep the mystery in your life alive. <laughs>